Hello, welcome, what's good? This is Danley and Friends, where I share empowering stories, encourage raw, open dialogue, and explore intriguing ideas to empower you to maximize your life. Coming to you from the heart of the heartland, Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Ryan Danley. Let's get to it. This week, we are back in the archives. And when I say in the archives, I mean deep in the archives. Before I even learned how to separate the audio tracks of participants in the podcast. And so I adjusted for it as much as I can. But this is a conversation that I thought was lost. And I found it. And it comes at a wonderful time because it gives the very nature of why I started the podcast. And this was having conversations and hearing different people's perspectives. And these two perspectives are two young ladies who I went to school with. And in this case, when I say school, I mean middle school and high school. We grew up in the same town. I was a little bit older than them, which come to think of it means I'm still older than them because that is how time works and it doesn't change. So I don't know why I said it like that. But anyhow, these two young ladies I grew up with and they had some really unique experiences. And I wanted to talk to them to hear the voice of the black female. My mom's a black woman. I'm a black man. I don't know what it's like to be like them. And so I wanted to hear them out. And I know that these two women don't speak for all of black women in the entire world on every topic or, you know, have the same views or anything like that. But we got to start somewhere. And that is what this podcast is about. Start somewhere, have the conversations, understand where each other comes from, and maybe, just maybe, we can make the world a better place. This comes at an interesting time that I found this because my friend Morgan in this conversation was pregnant at the time and hadn't even announced it. And we are at the one-year birthday. One-year birthday? One-year anniversary? I was going to say anniversary. I don't know. The baby's one year old. The baby has gone around the sun one time since this has happened. And it comes at an interesting time. And so I think it's really cool that, you know, she was talking about her nerves and her excitement. And now she's had a baby for a year and has done a great job. And, you know, since this, Paulette has moved uh, away from her twin who, you know, she's never been apart from her for their whole life. You know, they always hang out. They're you know, tight as twins. You know what I mean? They're like the same DNA. And so she moved to Florida away from her sister for the first time. And so they're both doing great things. And I think it's a, a really cool look back at not only what was going on with the podcast when I started it, uh, going back to see how I was, see how the setup was and everything, and then also seeing how these young ladies have grown over time. So I think it's really cool. And I wanted to show it to you. We laughed. And we might have shed some tears. Might have been some tissue grabbing going on. Some great stories from these two. And I hope you can learn from their experiences as I did. Enjoy. Hey. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Oh, I think I did that right. What's up, Lawrence? 
Hey, oh. Vanessa's not going to be able to get on because she had to stay at work late. Okay. Babe, I got it. They can hear you. They can hear me. Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah, we can hear you. Hey, boo. Hey. I am, like, trying to do this so that this works. And I have some support because I'm using my iPad because I don't have a computer, like a personal computer. It's, like, not a thing after a little while, (laughs) You know, after school and stuff, you don't really like have as much. You don't like, but now it is a thing because we're like in COVID and people are working from home and kids have to do like school from home. Right. Oh yeah. That's true. Okay. <laughs> I am like all ready for today, just so you guys know. <laughs> cool. Get into it. <laughs> that's exciting. Um, well, so it's just us then, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> just um, the three of us. <laughs> I want to thank you guys. I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to do this. Um, you know, it really started as me trying to reach out to people who thought differently than me and have a real dialogue rather than you know going back and forth on you know Facebook and stuff like that because it can quickly devolve into arguments and stuff like that. You know, um, yeah. So in that search to help me see my blind spots and improve myself. Um, I found it perhaps beneficial for others to witness, you know, these conversations that I'm having and, you know, in an effort to uh, make sure that I gathered all perspectives, you know, I want to talk to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thanks again. I figured, you know, maybe we could start out with, you know, telling me a little about each of you. It's been, you know, quite some time since we've maybe dug in a bit. So I'm just you know, maybe start with, you know, who you are, what your guiding principles are in life and um, why that is. <laughs> That's deep. We're already going oh, in so deep. Far. Guiding principles. <laughs> <laughs> Paulette, you can go first. Okay. So hello, I am Paulette Burks. I uh, grew up here in Worthington, Ryan and Morgan. Um, I am about to be 30 in a couple of months. And so, <laughs> and so um, just growing up, uh, two-parent household, they've both been married for about 41 years, about going to 42. So uh, just having them, um, you know, kind of guide me and my twin sister, who was supposed to be on here, shout out <laughs> back there. Um, but, um, and just basically, you know, learning up, learning and growing into like servant leaders. So main guiding principles is like giving heart and just making sure that I'm somewhat and somehow like touching the community and giving. So whether that's through the job that I work at, um, I've have a long and strong history of working in nonprofit organizations. Um, and most recently working in corporate and social responsibility, which is corporate philanthropy. So, um, just everything that I do in everyday life, it's somehow touching as far as a servant leader or giving um, to the community. So those are like the main things that I really care about. Um, I'm a Christian. I uh, grew up mm-hmm. in Salem. So I just really, uh, my, re- my relationship with God is really important to me. Um, but family and friends are also very important to me, seeing them. This is really hard being in COVID right now and not being able to like physically be around the people that I love. So um, but that's, that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> oh, thank you. How about you, Morgan? <laughs> oh, you, Morgan? No, um, Paulette, that was honestly 
such a great background about you, and I don't know how I'm going to follow that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for making my job a lot harder. <laughs> um, I would have to say, so my name is Morgan Pelt. Um, by association, I've known Paulette and Lynette since childhood when we were 12 years old in middle school. And then Ryan, I've known you since early high school. So, I mean, we all have on this conference call or Zoom meeting over like decades of friendship, essentially. And my husband, Lawrence Pelt, is really close friends with Ryan. And I grew up in Worthington, was born in Dayton, Ohio, lived in Cleveland. And then I went to school for undergraduate study at the University of Cincinnati, where I got my degree in communications and public relations. And then after that, I just came back to Columbus. Um, the main reason for that was one, um, just looking for job opportunities and just growing up here, I wanted to be back home. And then also my future husband was working here full time and just wanted to be here with him as well. And then I would say a lot of what drives me is just, I would say, being able to give a voice to the voiceless. I am a natural writer. I'm a communicator. I love telling stories about businesses and people and just what's happening in our community. When I came back here post-college, I ended up starting a blog in 2014 just so I can... Columbus Living Blog. <laughs> just to... Quick plug in there. Um, just to get to know my city, just because we grew up and we knew, I would say, this bubble of Worthington, but just getting to know the city of Columbus, it was my way of really getting to know people that were active, who were trailblazers, who were city leaders, and people that were entrepreneurs and just thriving and wanting to share the success of what was happening here. Um, so I've been doing that from then since now, and my background is in state government as well as nonprofits, very similar to Paulette. And this past year in 2019, I got my first um, stab or experience in corporate America. So working at Huntington National Bank right now, and it's been an experience. Um, I would say that my portfolio, I feel like it's very vast. Being in communications, it's given me the opportunity to really explore different industries. So I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in economic development, I've worked in financial services. And so it's really allowed me to really expand. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I would say I'm passionate about people. Um, I think one of my weaknesses has actually become a strength where I was a people pleaser growing up and I always was flexible and adapting to people's personalities. But then that really turned into just me wanting to help, me always wanting to lend a hand. So um, I would say I just have a passion and a love for people and I'm always trying to help whatever their goals are or whatever their visions are. So yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that is not the easiest question. So I really appreciate you both. Um, give me such eloquent breakdowns. <laughs> that is dope. So <laughs> now I feel uh, a little bit caught up on the women that you've become, um, you know, because it's been uh, a little while since high school. So I think that's... It has awesome. been. Um, I heard uh, a lot of um, echoes of kind of the same things from both of you. And I found it interesting. Um, you know, give a voice to the voiceless, servant leadership. Um, these are all, you know, things about helping others and, and, you know, going for a, a cause that's greater than you, where does that come from? And, you know, why do you think that's, you know, big driving force and who you guys are? Hmm. Um, I think I would say, like, my parents. Yeah. They instilled that in us really, really young. Um, if we weren't doing something 
over the summer that was giving back or like some kind of community service, what were we doing? So that was like Mm -hmm. the biggest things that they had us active in, um, whether it was through church or they were finding stuff around the community for us to do. Um, So I think just our family and and, and that being an aspect of, you know, us growing up um, since it was instilled in us, that's it just carried over into adulthood. Yeah, I would definitely have to echo you, Paulette. I mean, both my parents worked in state government and public service, and they have over 40 plus years experience. And so when I think about all the work that they've done to just try to bring justice to criminal justice reform, and some of the work that my mom did with human trafficking when I was younger, I didn't understand it. So when it was take your daughter to work day or take your kid to work day, I would go in and there would just be tons of meetings and bunches of people just talking about different things that I didn't understand. And I just remember thinking like, I'm never going to go into state government. Like this is boring. Like I'm not about it. And literally my second job after college was working in state government. And I worked in state government for about five years. (laughs) So never say never, but yeah, both my mom and my dad are just very passionate, kind-hearted people. And one of the things that I love about both of them is that they'll make a, like literally make a dollar out of a dime, like always willing to go beyond what they have and always willing to give when they don't have anything at all. And I saw a lot of that in college. So yeah, I mean, parents and people around you, friends, um, I would say, Paulette, you're one of my friends that are just probably one of the most inspiring people to kind of look up to and happy to have in my circle. So just keeping those type of people around you and keeping you grounded and also keeping you accountable. Um, So yeah, definitely had that growing up. So very blessed in that sense to have people like that around me. Cool. Um, I think that's wonderful. Um, I do. I'm a big believer in... uh, your environment has a lot to do with um, the person you turn out to be. I don't think it's all environment. I, I think you do have some control over it, but it, there's no doubt that the environment that you come up in, you know, has a lot of influence. And that's what I'm, I seem to be hearing from you guys, you know, that your family was, you know, impactful and church community and stuff like that. I think that's great. Um, you know, we, we started out kind of serious. What do you guys do to have fun? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you guys are in the store? Wow. Oh my gosh, literally, I am having fun growing a baby, you guys. That's my type of fun. (laughs) We can post this like after next week. Yeah, we post it after next week because it's not being announced. (laughs) Like, I feel like I can be free in this podcast and just talk about whatever. So, I just don't want to have that holding me back thinking about now my mindset is not just thinking about myself. It's thinking about this new life that's growing inside of me. Um, So fun these days is just getting my weekly updates, seeing how fast and how big my baby is growing on a weekly basis. So that's my fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. You know, congratulations. That's uh, thank you. That's a wonderful thing. And I'm super excited for you guys. I know uh, we've talked a little bit about it and stuff and, uh, yeah. I told Lawrence, man, let us know when you guys figure out the registry, like, you know, put me <laughs> on the distribution list. Uncle uh, Ray Ray. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Cool. All right. How about you, Paula? I mean, now it's not really like, I don't think we do exactly what we used to do for fun, right? So like yeah. in the past, this has nothing to do with the baby, but it has to do with COVID. 
in the past before Morgan was pregnant, <laughs> we would go to like brunch or we would like link up to go get happy hour and like yeah. up and decompress and like, you know, get advice from each other. That was fun to me. Um, mm-hmm. I would do like karaoke on Tuesdays, but you know, oh, yeah. you can't see <laughs> Mike touch the same mic, so we can't do that. But I think like now my fun would be um, just like, FaceTimes with the girls or, you know, getting in my, staying in my room and just like listening to music by myself. And like, that's my decompression. That's my fun. Um, but yeah, I, I miss the old fun. <laughs> the turn up, man. The turn up. Yeah. I, I miss it too. Um, I think it's just a product of getting older. Like you start to realize how much of a commodity time is. And you're like, man, I, I have things I want to accomplish. And uh, yeah. based on what I'm hearing and what I'm, I've seen from both of you guys over the years, it seems like, you know, you've got goals and you're going after them. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's dope. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your perspective and, and all of that. Like, you know, how it's been growing up where we came from um, and trying to achieve these things from the perspective of being a black woman. You know, is it... Uh, has it been tougher for you guys? Um, what are the unique challenges that have been associated with that? I mean, this is a multifaceted question. So I feel like we need to like take it in layers from like yeah. grade school to like college to like post. Like I would love, like, I already kind of shared before with you, Danley, outside of this, like kind of my experience from grade school to a little bit of college, like Paulette, I kind of echoed some of the things that you have told me about your experience. And I just think that you have some stories to share. And I think that they would be super valuable just to hear. Yeah. So I think um, if I think about like back to grade school, uh, I have so many stories. Okay. So <laughs> I think grade school, learn, growing up here in Worthington, like my parents were like the only black family in the neighborhood for the longest. Um, and when a black family eventually moved down the street, like the white family members or you know neighbors were like there's a black family that lives down the street like, that was the first thing welcome we're to diverse welcome <laughs> to the neighborhood there's a black family that's been living here you should go talk to them um that was like the first thing that clicked in their mind um wow but i think i learned about race really early in elementary school like maybe third or fourth grade um a little boy came up to me and he was talking about Christina Aguilera. Yes, I am dating myself, but that is okay. <laughs> I was like, I love Christina Aguilera and da 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 and my cousin loves her. And he was the first thing he said was, Christina Aguilera would never date a black person like you. And I was just wow. like, Well, why not? And first of all, Christina Aguilera is not even Caucasian. She's mixed. So that's that's first thing. But wow. I didn't even know that there was anything wrong with me being black. So um, that was my There first. isn't. They're right. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's not. There, by yeah. The way. yeah, but yeah. as a kid, and honestly, um, let me even take it back further than that. Outside of school, because we went to Worthington and we were, and I'm fair complected, um, as black people call it, light skin. I, me and my twin sisters, we literally thought we were white. We thought we were, we thought that our mom, wow. was white, we were white and our dad was black. So and did you think you were biracial? No, because, we didn't or... think we were biracial. We were like, why, why are we, the three of us, white? And <laughs> black, black, yeah, and you're our, black. And we're like, and our cousins are black. So why the only <laughs> three of us are, black, are white? And then, so my mom was like, you're not white, we're black. 
we're you're, we're all black. We just you know black people come in all hues and shades, and so right. Take the time, yeah. and if you're watching this podcast, um, take the time to watch um, the second version of Imitation of Life. My mom sat us down. We were very very young. It is a very it's an older movie, but it is a very important movie, especially if you're a young person who doesn't understand, even if you're a biracial person. So that movie yeah. is basically um, about a maid. She's dark-skinned. Her daughter is mixed, and she tries to pass. And passing is basically where you try to pass your skin complexion off as another race. And so yep. we were confused. We weren't trying to pass, but we were just confused as young kids being in a school that had all white children, thinking that mm-hmm. we were the same. Um, and so she took the time to show us that movie, and it really explained to us, you know, we're African-American. Just because you're lighter-complected doesn't mean that you're not Black. Um, And so that's something that you should definitely check out. But yeah, the other story about the little boy, that was my first, like, intro to it feeling like it was wrong to be Black. Wow. Um, Fast forward to middle school, Morgan, you would probably remember with Meredith and myself, we were in gym class. Okay, I'm not good at sports, guys. That's just... (laughs) that's okay Um, and so we were playing uh like kickball or something and the guy was like man all you n-words suck no sir i don't suck because i I am not athletic right (laughs) Um, but the problem with that situation was just the fact that he felt comfortable saying that in a classroom with the with the teacher and the other issue was that you know they called us down to the office and had him apologize but it was, you know, blah, blah, blah doesn't really mean it. His Wasn't it blamed on mental health, too? Blamed on mental like, his health. mental stability. So the disregard for your feelings and your experience of what that word means. But then on top of that, it was the lack of empathy that you were given yeah. from the administration and staff. Yeah, and they the, the punishment was basically that they... Um, suspended him for two days, but mind you, this happened right before Thanksgiving, so he basically had an early Thanksgiving break, um, wow. and it was downplayed, like I said, based off of Morgan saying like his mental health, and as, as well as his black, his godmother was black, so it's not a big deal because he really doesn't mm. because he had he has black friends. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> I hate that. I yeah. hate that so, so much. So that that. That's that. And then, I mean, all of us could probably go through a billion stories that happened at our high school. I'm trying not to, like, name names of people or name names. It's hard. But, yeah, so high school, I think the main things that stick out to me... um, Oh, wait, let me go back to middle school. Wait, wait, wait. Can I pause you right there for just a quick second? Just because I think it's, like, multi-layered and I don't want to go too fast between the grades. Um, One of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about earlier about being light-skinned and mm-hmm. having, you know, a fair complexion in comparison to other Black people and that there are all types of shades. I think that one thing that we have to even point out on this phone call is that there is a voice missing and it is a dark dark pigmented woman of color yeah. and we are representing light-skinned women. So we're missing a voice at the end of the day, right? Like we're only representing light-skinned brown women and as well as biracial women and their experience of being a darker complexion is a completely different experience and that there's colorism and that's real and that's something that's very divisive in our communities um both indigenous black and brown and you know communities of color Mm -hmm. um so it goes a lot deeper than that and then two talking about you know your experience in grade school paula i had 
something very similar, not naming names, but had a young boy um, come up to me and it was on the bus. And I ended up getting like, you know, some dirt on my hand and he did it. He got the dirt on my hand. And I was just like, yo, like you just got dirt on me. And he was like, no, I didn't. Your skin's already dirt. And I just like, I'm just kind of like, I'm just like, wow. And I was so mad. Like I was in elementary school that as soon as we got dropped off at our bus stop, I pushed him off the bus. Cause I was just like, no, he's not about to call my skin dirty. And I just remember like just feeling so confused about that and just like being very hurt and just already like being in a predominantly white school system. Like I'm trying to assimilate into white culture, white mannerisms, um, just things that are typically associated with, you know, being white. And I was trying to shed almost being black because I considered it an issue. And then it's funny because like you said, kind of transitioning to college, I was trying to you know, get rid of my whiteness and like <laughs> blackness. And it was just like, it's crazy. Cause it's just like in grade school, I was trying to fit in with all these white people. And then in college, I'm trying to fit in with black people. And then it's just, it's so hard. Like, it's just like, it's like these parallels that you experience and, you know, we're all essentially, and we're missing another voice, but we're representative of black kids that grew up in the suburbs, right? Yeah. Like we didn't grow up in inner city schools in Columbus. So that plays another experience in itself, but Sorry, Paula, I didn't want to cut you off. I well, just wanted no, to make sure. You just thought, made me think of another thing about, um, well, one, you're about to be a mom, right? So one of the things that you're probably even thinking about is like, back to our experiences, these things happen to us at a very young age. And you're like, okay, so how am I going to protect my child from right. so many things that are similar to this at a very young age, you know, four or five, um, that's going to come very quickly. Um, but the other thing that I was thinking about was when you said assimilating to um the school or the or the the culture that you're in, you're you're growing up in right you're growing up in a PWI predominantly white school and so yeah. institution and so i think one of the things that i remember even being a young black girl and wishing that i could assimilate right now guys i have no shame i have a wig on right now but when i was little, and that is okay and right. when i was little me <laughs> thanks just bye um, <laughs> when i was little though like my mom refused to let me and my sister get a relaxer and mm. so we wore braids with beads. <laughs> I love this topic. Yes. Girl. Braids with beads. Morgan, you got plenty of stories. Braids <laughs> with beads um, until like we turned 13. We finally were allowed to get a relaxer. But we hated it because we would see all the young white girls on the on the, on the the um, playground and their hair would be blowing in the wind. I'm and about to cry. Just, like, just braid it down. And we're like, why can't we do that? Or we would try to shake our beads and it's not the same thing. And so... I think as a young black girl, your 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 idea of beauty is what you see, what is projected. So true. So that's why it's so important to have, you know, um, visions representation. or representation yeah, all the representation. time. Representation yeah. in toys, representation on TV, representation in the teachers that are in the schools. You don't have to have all rich black when you're clearly in a predominantly white area, but you need to have some kind of representation that can support those young ladies so that they don't feel like, okay, I'm not wanted or I'm not the type of person that is desired. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, girl, like that hits on so many levels. Like I was thinking about this conversation today and just like everything that you said is so true. Like representation matters, like seeing yourself and other women and seeing in them in older women, you know, like seeing, like you said, in teachers, like for me, it, I had a white mom, right? So I didn't see black beauty like all that often. Like 
your mom was the representation of black beauty to me. Like my grade school best friend, like Tasia, like she was the representation of black beauty for me. Like Mrs. Davenport, sixth grade, she was representative of a strong black woman to me. And there were just not enough examples going throughout school, even in my own neighborhood, even though my neighborhood was ethnically diverse, it was not a representation of what I look like. So I'm looking at all these spaces, trying to find my beauty. Am I beautiful enough? And trying to find this validity in myself. And it was a struggle. Like it was such a struggle. So just hearing what you said, girl, like that is also true. Like you just hit a a place in my heart. Yeah. Um, I I think um, where I can relate to that in a sense is when you grow up, you kind of have like this identity crisis that's associated with race a little bit. Um, and, you know, with that, um, like, like, for instance, I was called like an Oreo, which means like, you know, black on the outside, white on the inside. And yep. or you hear things like, oh, you're not like those other ones. And yep. when you're like a kid, mm. it, it's presented as a compliment. And you're like, oh, well, if I'm like everyone else that's around me, then that must be good. Right. Right. And so you're you're like, Fine. It messes with you a, a it lot. It does. And uh, I think, you know, Morgan, you talked about going through kind of the swing back to like, you know, uh, getting rid of your whiteness and then, you know, that whole cycle. Um, I thought it was interesting. One of the young girls at the Worthington uh, Educators event um, spoke about that and, you know, the uh, troubles that she went through, how she was made fun of for her dark skin. And then she, you know, tried to, um, you know, be white and then she overcorrected to being the stereotypical version of black and, you know, then she found her true identity. Um, yeah. I feel like that's the battle that you guys are describing, how, you know, you have to swing through that. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily have to encounter. Um, and you, not at all. Ryan, if you think about, like, if you think about the opposite, so we all grew up in white schools, right? So we assimilated to that immediately. But think about, like, our counterparts who grew up in an inner city, inner city school, right? Or even the conversation about, like, this is why Black kids should go to HBCU to find their mm-hmm. you know, grow up and have, you know, know who they are and be secure in who they are. But those kids who either go to an HBCU or who grew up in an inner city school, they already have that culture. They already have that love. They already feel that, right? But then yep. they have to assimilate immediately when they get into the workforce. Exactly. That's very true. Your culture shock because you you're in the opposite of what you grew up in or where you chose to go to school in. So I mean, there's like pros and cons on either end. That's very true. That's a good point. It really is, and uh, you know, it sounds to me like that may potentially be a representation problem, kind of quite the opposite. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. but I think uh, I think really what happens is. You know, people get to uh, a point in their life where they have to interact with different types of people. Yeah. They work, yeah. and you like, you know, do these things that involve different age groups and, and things like that. And um, you can be insulated for a lot of your life. And then you hit this this place where, boom, you're in the real world. And it's not like you thought it was, you know? Oh, my gosh, yes. And, and the thing is, as I grew up with being around all white people and still sometimes being in corporate America, I don't feel comfortable. Like, yeah. there are moments where I can't contribute to conversations because I really just don't, you know, watch that TV show or I don't listen to that music or I don't have that, you know, um, experience of going to my family's private mansion in, you know... <laughs> Soho, New York or something. I don't know. In Dumbo. Like, it's just, 
it's just interesting that even if you come from an HBCU school or you go to a PWI as a black person, you're typically a minority in these corporate white spaces or even nonprofit and state government spaces. And there's still a level, maybe you have some more comfort and you know how to carry on those, you know, conversations and fake it and just, you know, laugh and, you know, contribute to how you need to, to get by. Um, but it's still something that we are the ones adjusting. We're the ones being flexible to the situation. We're the ones, you know, flowing into the room and being shaped by it. And I just think it's one of those things now that I think each of us are in powerful positions where we're actually shaping those rooms and we're actually putting a voice at that table, getting a seat. And, you know, I'm one, I'm just very proud of all of us, to be quite honest. And I'm proud of the circles that we're a part of because I really do think that we're making moves and we're, we're what, in our early 30s or about to be in our early 30s. And I feel like we just have so much more to do and it's just exciting. And even being in that pepper alley, Ryan, like, just seeing some of those, you know, kids speaking at the level that they're speaking at and already having that cultural understanding and awareness, like knowing that they're going to college already having these mindsets that I didn't even have. Like, I feel like we're going to be in great hands just knowing what the future is going to hold from them. I agree 100%. And I think it's important for us to stay connected to that because things are happening so fast that, you know, we don't want to become dinosaurs, um, you know, as as the (laughs) next generation advances. I think there's a lot of power in, you know, the experiences that we've had, you know, coming up and, you know, kind of combining that with this fresh perspective that young people have and and things like that. And um, I think one of the things you talked about was, you know, uh, kind of fitting to shape the room. You know, we have to be the water and, you know, fit the different container. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I, I would listen to the song and watch the show and, you know, do all these things because other people were doing it, even if I didn't particularly enjoy it. Just because I was like, oh, yeah. man, I want to, you know, at least contribute to the conversation. Give so, us an example. Um, <laughs> let's see. I, I used to have a Simple Plan CD. You know, the, the band Simple Plan? <laughs> they were kind of like emo rock, like weird. I don't, I don't even know what you even consider it. But yeah, at one point in my life, I had a Simple Plan CD. I didn't even like them, but this girl talking to like them. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. But now I don't even really like... I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that's not really just, like, what I'm into. Like, this is what I've been up to. So I don't really front like I am interested anymore, you know? But the funny thing is, if you think about it, though, now we, honestly, when it comes to the culture, we don't have because Mm -mm. it's the opposite. They're they're participating and listening to or listening to what we listen to. So if we are, we're automatically, not automatically going to listen to Drake, but we're more likely going to listen to Drake. We know that our white counterparts are listening to Drake. Right. So yeah. We have to now find all American rejects or is that what they're called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All American rejects. I actually quite, I quite enjoyed them and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I like, yeah, I actually like the Chili's though. I love the Maroon 5. <laughs> John Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like some of it, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm just not really willing to, to put up a front anymore because, again, you know, time, time's a commodity and, you know, I want to spend it you know, better myself and doing the things that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, what do you think have been you know, in terms of you growing up and getting older, what's been kind of the more pivotal moments in your life? So I know you talked about, um, you know, someone calling you name, you know, calling you nigger. And it's like, damn, that's, you know, 
the first time hearing that is heart-wrenching and it kind of changes you. The first time Mm -hmm. you're finding out about your skin and people thinking differently, it changes you a little bit. And what do you guys think of those pivotal moments? Uh, I think I had one in college where there was an academic policy change from being the requirement of having an American history class where African studies was considered an elective. So one of the things that I was extremely excited about was being able to say, hey, like F American history, like I'm a, I'm going to learn everything about African studies and follow the African diaspora and get to know about, you know, the black history of what it means to be a black person. And I remember my first class, I was so excited. I was like, I'm a black person, like I'm going to get an A. That was my first class I flunked in college. And it was just such a, a huge wake up call. I was like, I had to call my dad. I was like, dad, I was like, I failed like African history. He was like, you're black. How did you fail? I was like, I don't know. I'm asking the same question. And so I ended up retaking the class and I got so into it. Like I actually like paid attention. I read the books. I even read the extra books that the professors recommended. I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of introspection. And I just remember being so ingrained in learning about Black history where the pivotal moment was when I was like, oh my gosh, like I I hate white people. Like I was just like, I can't stand them and what they did to us for so long, for over now 400 years. And just knowing that this was something that I knew a lot of people didn't know, like some of the intricacies of things that have taken place in our country, just thinking about that they used to hold picnics and lynch Black men and women and then send it on postcards as holiday greeting cards in the U.S. Postal Service. Like, just thinking about the sick minds that the American public used to have, I'm just like, what type of sane, humane person does that? And so I literally went home, I think for winter break one time, and I saw my mom and I'm like, mom, you're like a part of the oppressor. Like your people are just like super oppressive. And she kind of looked at me like my mom is like, I mean, Paulette, you know her, Ryan, you know her, like she's just kind of like the no nonsense, like type of white woman. And she was like, so you know you're half white, right? And I was just kind of like, mm-hmm, but I identify black. She was like, but you're half white. And I was just like, okay. And I just saw what like getting all of this information all at once was doing to me. Like it was taking a toll on my mental health. And I was just like, I was probably six credits shy of being able to minor in African studies. But I just think about like where we're at today and how so many people are learning black history for the first time. And they're just becoming so drained and like the toll that it's taking on them. And this is something that from experience, like black people have been doing this whole time, but to actually know the deep rooted history about it, like, it's exhausting. Like, I I always tell my coworkers, like, I am not a racial, like, social justice, like, advocate. Like, that's not something I do for my job. I just want to be Black. I don't want to have to always think about my rights or be treated equally. And I would say, like, that moment in college is when it was, like, a huge pivotal moment for me where, like, I learned about Black history. I was exhausted by Black history. And I was, um, I was, I was reaffirmed in Black history and I was grounded in myself. And I no longer, I felt like had identity issues in who I was. Like, I know that I identify as a Black woman and I know that I'm racially Black and white. And I love both sides and all sides of me. And I think that that was really hard because I struggled like growing up knowing who I was. 
Ooh, Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that was heavy. <laughs> I'm sorry. He said pivotal. <laughs> He's using all these fancy words. Oh. Um, I think mine was a lot younger. Um, okay, so uh, I'm about to cry. Morgan thinks about that. Girl, it's like real out here. And I would have never thought of this being the pivotal moment, but now that I'm thinking back about it, it is. Um, so we were younger, me and my twin, we, you know, went to school, did most of our extra curricular activities here <laughs> in Worthington. So um, my mom made it a point to make sure that outside of church, you know, church was a predominantly black. She wanted to make sure that we had um, activities to do in the summertime that were in a black neighborhood with black people. And so she signed us up for um, the King's Art Complex. They had a summer camp. So we were like seven the first year we went. And I remember crying. When we pulled up, the neighborhood didn't look like Worthington. It was in the King Lincoln District. And if you're from Columbus, Ohio, and you don't know what the King Lincoln District is, it is the Mecca of black Renaissance. Uh, back in the day, it was just, the glory days of blackness. Um, and now it's it's kind of gone downhill a little bit, but now black millennials have taken it upon themselves to make sure that we buy the block and try to build it back up to what it used to be. Um, but so when we got there, it was, you know, back when it just started getting a little run down, um, all the kids and the parents that were getting out of the cars were all black and mm. we panicked. I started to cry. And was like, mommy, please don't leave me here. Like, please don't leave us here. Oh, and that is a pivotal moment now that you think back to it because you, I was afraid to be left with my own people. Yeah. I was afraid based off of the news, based off of not growing up around, you know, black people and not being worried that I wasn't going to be, you know, accepted and not knowing what the right thing to say was. I was scared of the neighborhood I was in because it didn't look as clean or as pristine as. Worthington did and so my mom dropped us off she left us and we were in there crying and probably all the kids were like they're punks we should get them but <laughs> <laughs> we she came back and got us y'all and we were like two more hours like Aww. don't come back and get us and you know the she was like you're coming back tomorrow and we we're like oh yay like it was the most exciting <laughs> in our life after being dropped off at that camp. And we did that camp until we were about 10. Um, but it was the most um, educational but fun thing that we ever did in our life. We made so many friends that went to other schools. We learned African mm. dance. We learned tap dance. We learned African art. We learned so much history being in that program. And so I think um, the shock of, you know, being afraid, but eventually, like, immediately turning that around and being like, oh my God, this is a pivotal moment in my childhood that carried over yep. into my adulthood. Um, I think that was a big moment in our life. Wow. That's um, awesome, Paulette. Yeah, I'm over here like, I don't have a tissue box in here, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you guys you know, sharing those intimate moments with me. Um, it makes me you know, think, think a lot. Um, what, I, what I heard from both of you, though, was you know, things that have kind of echoed over the course of the conversation, um, the influence of community, um, both your mothers were, you know, pivotal in getting you um, to think of Oh, that's way. so true. And, you know, kind of outside of that, the, that perspective and that box that you kind of had yourself in. So um, I think that's beautiful. That's a, a, you know, a testament to the strong women in your guys' lives. 
Um, and I think, you know, when you have that example, it's inevitable that you become the same thing. So um, I, I think <laughs> you guys, you guys got that. Um, Oh, I, Paula, that, oh, oh. I was going to say, no, no, you go ahead. You know, we're talkers. So. I was just going to say, okay, I don't want to cry. I was just going to say that um, middle school. So growing up in elementary school, there weren't that many black women or young girls. So I think um, getting to Worthing Way and seeing Morgan and Meredith and a whole bunch of all these other Black girls, because, you know, the elementary schools feed into the middle school. So that's bringing more students together. And immediately, me and my sister, when we saw them, we were like, oh, my God, there's more Black girls. There's There's more girls that look like me. There's more girls who are getting, who get what I'm going through here at this school. And so we literally like just ran over to each other and like split. And I just wanted like I just thank God that like we met each other and we've been friends ever since. And I think growing up and having a woman like Morgan or a friend like Morgan, you know, who looks like you, like we said, representation, you we needed that. You know, I've met somebody who had, you know, similar goals as I did, who but but looked like me. That I could say, you know what, I didn't have to be different to fit in. I could be my 100% self and went to middle school, high school, <laughs> college. My best about to have a baby. Girl. Like, I just feel so lucky to have her. And I just think that, um, that is Ooh, why. you know I'm hormonal. I know. Ooh. That is why representation <laughs> is so important. Um, and it's not even like, there's a book out there called Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together at the Lunch Table? Girl, um, I got that book. That explains it. it explains why. Because you need that 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 um that likeness, you know that you about to hold it up. That relationship for all that need it. Screenshot this and read this <laughs> book, even if you're not black. It explains it. Um, and so I just I just felt really lucky and happy that we were able to meet in middle school because I at that time, especially when you get to middle school, that's that time when things are changing, right? You're becoming a, a teenager, and yeah. and you needed you know need support. So sorry. Oh my gosh. So Paulette, so this is gonna be a, a funny story on top of your like deep heartfelt story. Is it Lynette? So I, yes. <laughs> I'm not here. Go ahead, do it. Oh my gosh. So I remember, so in elementary school, because I'm a pivot, so it makes sense. So in elementary school, I remember in fourth grade, there was a boy who there it was like, you know, parents coming into like parent-teacher conferences, and he saw my parents and he was just like, Why don't your parents match? Like one is black and one is white. Like you just didn't really see like mixed kids like in elementary school. Like I didn't see a lot of them um, at Worthington. So when I got to middle school and I saw Paula and Lynette, I looked at my skin. I looked at their skin. I was like, yes, some mixed people out here. So we start chatting. We never really talk about, we don't talk about race. Like I just assume like light skin equals like they're biracial. So I'm in the hallway, like with Lynette going to a class and I'm like I'm like girl I was like are you mixed and she was just like hell no I ain't no mix (laughs) my feelings were so hurt and that goes back to the story about our mom making us watch imitation of life because it was we're white we're white and she's like you're black 
<laughs> no, I'm tan. Oh my gosh. That's what happened to my brother. My brother was probably the same age as you guys. And my brother's very fair skin. Like all of my siblings, I feel like we all came out different complexions, even though we're all biracial. And my brother was watching BT, like my dad, my brother, and I, we were all watching the BT Awards. And my brother says to me, he was just like, ugh. He was like, those girls dance so ghetto. And I look over at him and I was like, you know you're black, right? And he was like, no, you're black. I'm tan. And my dad is like, my dad is like, he's like, boy, what did you just say? And he was just like, I said, she's black and I'm tan. And then he was like, boy, you're mixed and your sister's mixed. You guys are both black and white. And he was like mortified. Like he was like, he was like, what do you mean we're both like black and white? Like that can't be possible. Like we're two different shades. And like even with me like being light skinned, like well, I'd say you and Lynette are even more fair-skinned than I am. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show, like, the multitudes and the beauty of just, like, being Black. Like, it's not just, like, one shade. It's, like, such a palette of different shades. It's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. There's a different hair texture, you know, different... I want to speak no all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, man, you know, I, I think about even just, like, the presentation of features. And I have a really big nose. And I used to be jealous of Lawrence's nose. Cause I was like, man, <laughs> his nose is so like, you know, sculpted and like, you know, I'm like, man, why, why can't I have a nose like that? And it's just a, you know, weird, weird situation like that. That um, is, it is. I mean, you say that. Cause I always wish I had Morgan's. I'm like, my nose is so pointy. I wish I had Morgan's. And like, I feel like. Girl, I wish I had your jawline. As your a black person. so beautiful. As a black person, I'm like, my lips aren't even like juicy enough. Like, I wish my, like, I feel like, like, we all, like, compare ourselves. That's so true. But it's all, like, black is beautiful. It's, like, That's so true. a thing, so. <laughs> You're like, I didn't get big enough lips or big enough booty. Like, I am right. black. <laughs> These are conclusions that, you know, have taken us a, a very long time to come to. You know, yeah. uh, we've had to work at it and, you know, really think through these things. Um you're hanging out, you see 12-year-old Paulette and Morgan in front of yourself. <laughs> what advice do you give, you know, your younger self? Like, what do you tell these younger girls about mm. you know, how to find strength and how to deal with some of the things that you dealt with so brilliantly throughout your lives? Morgan? Oh, my gosh. You know, that's so funny that you asked this, Ryan, because I wrote down a question in my notes today to ask you guys this. Like, what would you go back in time and tell, like, your younger self? Cause I feel like we've all had like these experiences and, and this is like very um, specific. So it's like not something that I would tell my younger self. I would, I wish that I could go back in time and write a paper that Mr. Bay assigned in his journalism class for affirmative action. And I'm going to show you guys, hold on one second. <laughs> Do you guys remember journalism class? Yes. I, I, I kind of do. Like it's it's fuzzy, but yeah. I went into that class so I could get those passes and go off campus and eat. Girl, you're a hot mess. That was probably why most people did journalism class. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but I still have the Phoenix. Yes, a copy yeah. of the Phoenix. This is when our president was elected in 2008. But 
there, Mr. Bay specifically had asked me to write a paper on my opinion on affirmative action. And I was like, oh, like, I don't really know much about it. Like, I don't really want to do the serious stuff. Like, I just want to write about fun, like fluffy stuff. And there were students that actually wrote like against affirmative action and why it's not necessary. And I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say who wrote this because I think some of us may know the people, so I don't want to put them on blast. But (laughs) I will. So the title of this is called Affirmative Discrimination Prevalent in College Admissions. And it says, why are colleges still stressing minorities when our constitution says all men are created equal? Is it fair that white men in the United States have extreme difficulty obtaining good opportunities for college? It has been proven that white males are having the hardest time getting into colleges, and this is due to the over-exaggerated focus on minorities. For example, the administrations at certain colleges feel that more minorities need to be at their college to add diversity. Is it fair to people who tried just as hard and might obtain better grades but are white and male? The answer to that question is no. And I'm just like... Someone in our school, like at the, you know, at the same time, like I can't really like blame them for having this mindset, right? Like this is just like things that they've probably heard from their parents or like ideas that they thought of because they weren't exposed to the real reasons why affirmative action is important. But I'm kicking myself in the head, like Morgan, like go and write that paper. Like tell them why affirmative action is necessary. And they say it was instituted, like you know, in the 1970s, and that. In 2008, it was no longer prevalent. And I'm just kind of like, I'm like, why didn't I write? Like, why didn't I not take Mr. Bay's? Like, he was so hard pressed on me to write that paper. And I had no idea why. So it's not really, Paulette, you're on mute. And second, um, yeah, I just like, if I could go back in time and tell my younger high school self that was in journalism class, I would tell her to write that paper. Because I think it's important. I feel I like I didn't write that paper. Girl, <laughs> I would tell her to write that, that paper. Because I don't know where them facts came from. <laughs> like, and there's no cited source. No, it is known. Where is it known, sir? <laughs> yeah. like, where? Did your daddy <laughs> tell you that? <laughs> like, oh, my God. That? Who about it? Great. <laughs> Mr. I, it was an opinion piece. I'm um, just kind of like... What oh, the I guess, hell? Okay, so wait, if it's an opinion piece, you don't have to have facts, I guess. I guess not. I well, guess someone could yeah. just read it and believe it, but I'm just kind of like, that is crazy to me. Like, and the thing is, is I probably read that in high school and probably thought nothing of it because I was probably like, you know what? I was like, those guys probably do work hard. They probably deserve to get into college. But now I'm just like, no, like... No, and we still need affirmative action. Like, there's not representation at all levels. Actually, there is only, I want to say, I looked at this stat the other day, 33% of America, like national statistics, are the ones that have college degrees above a bachelor's. And for Black men, there is only, I had it written down, there's only 4 million Black men that have degrees, bachelor's degrees or higher. Wow. What, there, that's crazy, right? People in the US? There are 328 million people in the U.S. and 4 million Black Americans. Like, Ryan, you are a part of that statistic. Like, isn't that crazy? That's, wow, that's <laughs> mind-blowing to me. Okay, I'm oh. going to I have to hop off, but I'm going to give y'all my, um, my thing that I would say to myself. I think 
the main thing, and before I get off, I just want to say thank you, Ryan, for allowing us to be on here. Um, this was really great, and I would love to continue this conversation another time. Girl, well. part two. Part yeah. two, Ryan. Bring us back, and we can have Lynette, too. But oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about dating, bruh. Dating, yes. We didn't yes. talk okay. about dating at all. Yeah. That's important. I'm going to go deep into that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think I would go back and tell myself, don't be afraid to be who you are. Like, I was so um, focused on, like, making sure I fit in. Um, and like, I think it's crazy. Like now we keep talking about hair and stuff, but in high school, I was like, Oh my God, I gotta get a relaxer. I want to get a, I want to get a weave. Every time there was a dance, I wanted to get like a weave to like make myself more beautiful. Um, and then as soon as I graduated college, I went and became natural, like cut off all my chemicals, (laughs) the movement, whatever. Um, (laughs) I play around once in a while, but I think I was literally stressed to myself about being myself and not being worried about what other people thought. Um, and just being true to, you know, myself, where I came from, my culture, my family, and not being worried about, you know, who I might offend or make uncomfortable because of my blackness. That's not my problem to deal with. <laughs> Preach. So I think that would be the main thing that I would make sure that I stress to younger Paulette. Do you girl. Yeah. Younger Paulette, older Paulette gonna do just fine. So it's older Morgan. I think, I think do you girl is the is the theme of the podcast. Do you. So. Hey, bring us back with do you too. Right, right. right. So yeah. I have to hop off, guys. Thank you so much, Ryan. Bye, Mo. Thank you so Bye. much. I really appreciate Bye. it. Good Bye. talking to you. Hell yeah. Oh. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's it's dope, and I definitely want to. Uh, make sure that we all get together and do this again. So that'd be sweet. Yeah, no, like, just like what Paulette said, like, I really appreciated this podcast. I honestly was kind of nervous about it because I wanted to make sure that I presented myself in the best light. But I'm really excited that we were just all just kicking it, just laughing, just sharing real stories, like experiences. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, I learned a lot from you guys, and I hope I continue to to do so. Uh, Moving forward, do you part two? <laughs> <laughs> do you part two? Yes. Take it easy. Aww. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye.